Odell Beckham, Kenny Galladay, if he's got anything left, any juice left, Rob Gronkowski, if you can convince him to come out of retirement. Is there some type of reinforcement move coming uh, before the trade deadline, Luke, from Jason Light? More on that coming up here just a little bit later in the show in the return of our questions of the week segment. But first and foremost, it's the Bucks Wire podcast. Welcome into the show. Just a quick reminder here off the top that you can support us by subscribing. Find us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us. Just search the Bucks Wire. We appreciate you for jumping on board, and we hope all of you are well after what, for a lot of Floridians, was a devastating weekend with Hurricane Ian. Um, I'm Ryan O'Leary, joined as always by Luke Easterling of USA Today's Bucks Wire. Luke, I know you live in Tampa, right? I was thinking about you all week. Um, must have been a whirlwind for you, right? Like you're trying to you're trying to do your job, but you're also trying to do what's best for your family. As Hurricane Ian is like gaining power as a Category Four, right? Um, that had to be just a, a freaking whirlwind for you, man. I was thinking about you and your family. Yeah, man, uh, I appreciate that, and uh, and and again, that's kind of how we feel now. It's uh, you know watching. Anytime you uh, you kind of dodge that bullet and, and the storm moves a different way, you're, you're obviously grateful. But you know you do have a little bit of that guilt where you see with the you know the devastation that it causes in other places, and, and it just it, it breaks your heart, man. It really does. And um, you know obviously everybody down there in Fort Myers, Cape Coral, Port Charlotte, that whole area, um, which you know it, it's not the first time that's happened to them down there. It's been a rough go for them in terms of these storms in recent years. So. Obviously, our hearts go out to everybody down there, and and even throughout, you know, Central Florida, as the, as the storm moved, it, it went kind of in in a different direction than I think a lot of people thought. And there were people who evacuated from here and St. Pete, Pinellas County, and went to Orlando, and then ended up having to come back because of the way the storm changed, and then it ended up back in the Atlantic, and you know, did a good bit of damage on that side of the state. So those they can be unpredictable. I've lived in this area for most of my life, and and you know, I, I put a lot of time and effort into trying to you know, understand how these storms work. So, you know, we were, we were prepared as prepared as we could be for, for whatever, you know, eventuality, but uh, obviously grateful that uh, again, the Tampa Bay area was, you know, kind of spared to the point, obviously where we had a football game on Sunday night, um, that was kind of in the, in, the, in the balance there for a little while, but uh, you know, definitely grateful to be safe and sound. And, and again, our, our, our hearts go out to everybody who's still kind of picking up the pieces after that storm. Yeah, that's, that's well said. And uh, yeah, I mean, you, you think of all the people that were affected. I mean, a podcast like this, Luke, is just kind of a, a, a short escape probably for a lot of people. The, the game on Sunday night was probably just like a three-hour escape for the team. And, you know, it, it does get you thinking, like, how much were the Bucks affected by Hurricane Ian in their preparation for the Chiefs game? I think uh, Todd Bowles talked about it a little bit finally. <laughs> he wasn't, like, offering that up immediately after the game. But I would assume they were affected a lot, right? They had to practice for the game in Miami. There's all of this unknown about what's coming. You you probably have to figure out logist, logistics for your family, for, for guys that have their family in Tampa Bay, right? And there's all this uncertainty about where the game's even going to be played. They were throwing out New Orleans and Minnesota because those guys were in London, so those stadiums were open. And I think going in, I thought if the game was played in Minnesota, because let's be honest, they weren't playing that thing in New Orleans. In the glue. There's no way they're going back to that no. freaking building. Not happening. So if the game was played in Minnesota, I thought I kind of liked the Chiefs. You know, I would have I would have thought the Chiefs would would have a game like they kind of had Sunday night. I kind of thought it would go that way because I just thought you go to Tampa Bay, there might be a little something extra for the Bucks. You know, maybe that inspiration piece, trying to give folks that outlet. You know, that three hours. Uh, also, you have the Chiefs coming back into the building where they were freaking smoked in the Super Bowl. Right, they have to relive that thing. So I thought 
when news broke that the game was going to be played in Tampa Bay, I thought that was a huge positive for the Bucks in the football game. You know, like I thought for their chances. But I think as the game went on, I thought maybe I had it backward because uh, the Chiefs just looked like a team that was more mentally ready to go. And and how could the Bucks be more ready to go mentally given all the the factors they were dealing with that week, Luke? Yeah, and I think, you know, people will look at, at Bowles finally bringing that up and being like, oh, you're making excuses. But, I mean, come on. We're all... We're all grownups here. We can look at the reality of the situation and not have to give you the coach speak and be like, oh, no, you know, we were we were focused. It didn't impact. Like, come on, we're all human beings. You know, it, I feel like it's impossible for that to not have an impact. Again, like you said, all the uncertainty of, uh, in the bigger part of life, right? You're talking about your family. You're talking about just, you know, people and trying to be safe, let alone thinking about trying to win a football game in that atmosphere. It's just impossible to, to kind of elevate that that preparation for a game uh, above those things. And again, I think the Bucks did a fantastic job as an organization. They, they basically moved everybody's family who was in the Tampa area down to Miami, put them up. Um, they moved all their pets too. We had, I think there were 18 dogs and a, and a rabbit. Uh, Luke, Luke Gedeke, the, the rookie second round pick from the Bucks uh, brought Cletus, his, his three-year-old rabbit um, down for the, for the occasion. That's so amazing. I mean, they went, they went all out and De- Devin white too. Somebody asked him how the horses were going to do. And he's like, Oh, don't worry. I spent more money on the barn than the house, <laughs> which, which tracks, if you know anything about Devin white, but, uh, yeah, you know, man, it was, it was just, uh, anytime you're trying to prepare for a football game in a week where you're trying to prepare to make sure people, you know, don't lose their lives and don't lose their homes, uh, to a storm like that. It, it, there's no way it doesn't have an impact. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not an excuse, but it, it, you know, it, it, you can't deny that that sort of thing would absolutely have an impact. And again, on the chief side of things, you are going back into the building where you got your asses beat, you know, in the Super Bowl, and, and you didn't score a touchdown, uh, and you got embarrassed. So, you know, I think they were very, very, uh, jacked up for that game. Uh, and they did take advantage, you know, of a team that, that had a really difficult time preparing away from home and, and trying to mentally prepare for a game while their hearts and minds were obviously on bigger things. Yeah, again, I, I had it backwards, Luke. I thought, oh, the Chiefs don't want to go back in that building. They want to play in Minnesota. Nope, they were they were motivated <laughs> coming back to Tampa Bay. They wanted to give it to the, the Bucks, And like you said, no excuses. The Bucks got their asses whooped. But this that part of the conversation kind of steers to a, a bigger topic that we wanted to hit on the show today, and that's just... You know, is it time to hit the panic button, Luke? You were telling me before we started recording, let's pump the brakes on hitting the panic button for the, for the bucks right now after four games. You know, I go back to um, every time the schedule comes out every year in May, you know, I immediately do a full game by game prediction for every single game. So obviously it's way early in the game. You've just had the draft. Um, you know, you haven't gone through training camp or anything. So even before the bucks had, you know, Ryan Jensen go down, even before, some of these other things that they dealt with Mike Evans being suspended for a game, you know, having a hurricane blow through town, even before all that. And as soon as I saw the schedule, I had them going two and two for this stretch. Um, I'm pretty sure I had them losing to the saints instead of either the Packers or the chiefs. Um, So I wasn't sure necessarily who they'd beat and who they'd lose to. But if they, you know, when I saw that first four games, two games on the road to start out, you're at Dallas, you know, who you beat in week one in Tampa last year. So obviously they would be jazzed to, to win in their building. You're going at New Orleans, team you hadn't beat, you know, in a long time in the regular season. You're coming home for two in a row, but then you, you're playing Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. You're playing Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. I looked at those four games and thought, you know, even though I think, and I told you, I told you this on the show, I think the Bucks can be better this year than they were last year. I still thought coming out of this four games, two and two was 
probably a win, you know, because of the opponents and the situation. And again, that was before all of the other things that we just talked about and the injuries and suspension and all that stuff. Um, so the fact that they are two and two, uh, there's no panic for me. Uh, and again, you can look at the rest of the schedule. The next three games in particular are a great slate, I think, for the Bucks to get back on uh, on on the horse, especially on on offense, the, and to keep going the way they were in that late, you know, from for a lot of that game in Kansas City and uh, against Kansas City, and, and in terms of the defense to try to figure out whatever went wrong, especially stopping the run. But then um, they get Pittsburgh, they get Carolina. It's you know, it's a nice little little should be a little reprieve here. I know every team is an NFL team. Every every week can be a trap game, but. You know, this should be an opportunity for them to, to, to remind everybody, hey, this, you know, this was always going to be a tough four-game stretch. Um, and honestly, I know it's only four games in, but the Bucks so far have played three of those games against teams with winning records. And the rest of their games, all of them, all 13 of them, none of those teams have a winning record right now. So all of those teams they have left to play are two and two or worse. So it's not like it's the end of the world, even because of whatever else is happening outside of the Eagles who are undefeated. I don't see anybody else in the NFC who's been more impressive than the Bucks have, you know, for stretches so far this year. So, no, nah, it, we're going into week five, man, and, and, and it was a tough four-week stretch. Everything that this team wants is still ahead of it. Win the division, get in the playoffs, get a home playoff game, and, and take care of business from there. They proved that they can do that, at, you know, when it matters most back in 2020, and there's no reason to believe they can't do it again. That's a, that's a hell of a stat, Luke, that there's no teams on the schedule remaining. With all these games that yeah, we have I, left. I'm going to shout out Greg, Greg, my Do good it. buddy, Greg yeah. from the athletic yeah. uh, came up with that one. And, uh, he, he hell of a stat. <laughs> that one, that one stops you to tracks. Wow. Um, and obviously a lot can change and look, the bucks, that, that doesn't mean that the bucks don't have things. They got to clean up. There's a lot of sloppy football going on with the bucks right now. We're going to get into that here in the second segment. Uh, but first our friends over at the huddle.com have their fantasy plays of the week. Check that out. Luke and I will be right back. This is the Typical Sportsbook Fantasy Minute. Let's make this interesting. Interesting. The first month of the fantasy football season is now behind us. I'm Corey Benini with TheHuddle.com here to bring you strong plays for week number five. Quarterback Derek Carr, Las Vegas Raiders at Kansas City Chiefs. The Raiders put their backs against the wall with an 0-3 start. And if they have any chance of keeping in the mix for the AFC West, it begins with beating Kansas City on Monday night. The Chiefs have allowed 2.5 touchdown passes per game thus far, which is tied for the most in football. Only 1 in 175 attempts has been intercepted, and just 4 teams have given up more yards through the air to the position. This matchup is 23.4% easier than the league average, and Carr has the weapons to get the job done. Running back Ramondre Stevenson versus the Detroit Lions. This matchup is tremendous for success on the ground, and the Patriots are in line to lean heavily on the rushing attack if quarterback Bailey Zappi ends up starting. Detroit is granted a rushing score every 11 attempts, which is the highest frequency by more than 5 carries. 8 times a running back has carried the into the end zone, and the 116.8 ground yards per game sits as the sixth highest figure in football. Stevenson makes for a quality start in any fantasy setting. Baltimore Ravens wide receiver Devin Duvernay versus the Cincinnati Bengals. He was targeted a season high five times last week, catching four for 51, but he failed to score a touchdown for the first time in 2022 if you include a special teams TD in the mix. He has at least 6.2 PPR points in each game, and that's if you remove the touchdown, and the vertical threat is worthy of a gamble in deep leagues. The Bengals 
haven't given up much to receivers in 2022, but the Ravens are one of the most explosive offenses, and five different receivers have posted at least 12 PPR points against the Bengals this season. Tight end Tyler Conklin, New York Jets versus Miami Dolphins. The big question surrounding Conklin entering week four was what kind of involvement would he see with Zach Wilson returning to the lineup? All things considered, the former Viking was targeted enough to keep him relevant. His five looks produced three catches for 52 yards. Not exactly what you want to see, but it's not like he went from eight looks per game under Joe Flacco down to two. One aspect worth noting is the yards per reception went up, including the average depth of target going from 2.8 to 8 under Wilson. More importantly, Miami has surrendered crazy volume to tight ends in 2022, ranking as the easiest opponent for catches and number three for yardage generated. While only one in every 15 completions has found the end zone, there's plenty of PPR upside to chase here. For more award-winning tips, news, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. That was your typical sportsbook fantasy minute. Win your fantasy football league with thehuddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at Typico Sportsbook. For a limited time, new Typico Sportsbook users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522. 4700 in Colorado. All right, we're back. And uh, this is the return of uh, a favorite of mine. We've done this in past seasons, Luke. Uh, my questions of the week. These questions are inspired to pull all of the hot takes out of you um, and just let it out on the show, right? What's plaguing this team? Let's get into it. I got three questions for you, Luke. Are you ready? Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it, my man. Let's go. Uh, question number one. Uh, Tampa Bay started the season. They they didn't score a lot of points against the Cowboys, Luke, but they did run the football pretty well. They had 152 rushing yards in that one. We expected Leonard Fournette in the running game to be just fine. Uh, unfortunately, the rushing game has trended in the wrong direction since then, right? It's gone down. Their totals have gone down in every contest since then, uh, culminating with Fournette's awesome three carries for negative three Right. Yard I was going to say, they can't go much, much <laughs> yeah. further down now. That, that uh, Luke, wasn't good. The Bucks all but abandoned the run game against the Chiefs, mostly out of necessity and game flow, probably. But the, the run game was already trending in a bad direction. They basically said, screw this. We're, we we got to figure something else out. So diagnose it for me. Is there a quick fix that can help the Bucks get more balanced between run and pass? You know, I, I think um, some of it is, again, we, we talk about, what's going on with the offensive line. You have Robert Hainsey thrust into the, the starting center position as, as opposed to the Pro Bowler Ryan Jensen. So Hainsey makes his first start as a second-year guy in week one. Uh, you got Shaq Mason, who obviously is a great veteran player at right guard, but he's, again, you've you got a new unit. You're learning how to communicate with Hainsey on your left and Tristan Wirfs on your right. Uh, and you got to kind of mesh with those guys, and it takes time to do that. And then on the left side, you got Donovan Smith, who is, you know, coming into this season, he had missed two starts since 2014 when he was a second-round pick, started week one that year as a rookie and had, had only missed two starts since. Um, he goes out, you know, in the first half against Dallas in week one, and he's missing for two games um, after that. So, you know, a lot of moving pieces, a lot of new faces, injuries, all of those things are contributing, I think. Um, but also, you know, I, I will point a little bit to the, especially early in the game, the play calling right now, Byron Leftwich has to has to find something a, a little more spicy earlier in the game. These, these early game scripts are just not not doing it. Uh, I think opposing defenses are are ready for whatever they're they're throwing at them, especially early in the game. Once they get moving and they get off script and they start doing some tempo stuff, and, and that seems to be where the Bucks are having more success. But 
I feel like there's just there's not enough pre-snap motion. There's not enough play action, especially out of out from under center. Um, and and there's a great segment that uh, that ESPN did um, with Ryan Clark uh, and Dan Orlovsky and Laura Rutledge and Mina Times and Marcus Spears did a, a great piece on on what playing under center and using that even in the run game, but as in terms of play action, what it forces the defense to have to prepare and react to, it just opens up so many possibilities that it makes their job a lot harder versus when you're in shotgun, there's only a limited amount of things and kinds of ways you can do those things. So I thought it was a great thing. It was like eight or nine minutes long. If you find it on Twitter, it's, it's, it's great. I think Dan Orlovsky tweeted it out, but it, it gets to the heart of something I don't think the Bucks are doing enough of, which is playing under center, finding ways to challenge the opposing defense. Because if you just sit back there and shotgun all day, it really makes their lives a lot easier. And I think right now those early game scripts are really just too bland. They're not creative and complex enough right now. And I think the results kind of bear that out. The Bucks have started really slow on offense. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's a, a contributor. That's an interesting insight right there. Um, a, a guy I wanted to ask you about specifically is the rookie Rashad White. Right, Luke. I think the the teams told us they want to get him more involved. He had five catches for fifty yards in the game. Uh, looks like he could he might be able to fill that little pass catching role that that Brady loves and that the Bucks have been searching for. Right, like signing Gio Bernard. What was it, Lashawn McCoy? They were they were mm-hmm. trying to figure out. They've been trying to figure that out for years. Uh, Rashad White is he a guy you know that's in the running back room right now that you think? is going to continue that upward t- trend, right? Like coming off the fantasy segment, like if that, if this kid's still on the waiver wire, maybe you scoop him up if he's going to get more usage because he, catching five passes from Brady's a good sign, I think. He doesn't he doesn't just throw to running backs. Like he's got to trust you to do that. Um, and he seems like he's building a trust with Rashad White right now. Yeah, and I, again, this is exactly what we expected when they drafted him. You know, the, he he clearly was, was a pass-catching specialist. Not that he's not a great running back, because he is. He actually scored his first rushing touchdown of his career in this game uh, against the Chiefs. But, you know, we knew he had the capability, and and it was just a matter of developing that trust and, again, digesting the playbook, getting to the point where – because, again, if you you have certain players in the game, there's only certain things you can call based on what they know how to do, right? So if you've got a rookie who's only been with the team a month or two, and, and, you know, obviously he's going to be a little bit more behind in the install than a guy like Fournette who's in his third, fourth season with the team. So – you know, as as he starts to to be able to do more things in terms of his knowledge of the playbook, and I think that's what we saw uh, in this game was he's ready to take that next step. And also, the flip side of that, people wonder, oh, you know, Lenny's off the field for all these long stretches of time, and he's not in the game. First of all, again, like we said earlier, you're getting your asses kicked early. So if you're going to have to make a comeback, you're not going to be grinding and out on the ground for the most part anyway. And if you're going to get beat get beat giving reps to the rookie, getting him on the field and giving him, you know, real live game reps against a really good defense in Kansas City and build that in-game trust with Tom Brady. We've seen it so many times. You know you know better than I do because you've watched him for so long in New England. You know, it, those game reps matter. He has got to know he can count on you when it, when it counts and when it matters. And so how do you develop that? Well, when you're down, tw- you know, three scores in the second, third quarter, you you give those reps to the rookie so that he can catch the ball out of the backfield and make guys miss and and you know make that block on the blitz pickup that says, so that Brady knows you know in week eleven when it's a, a one score game and you need a play he can trust that guy because he knows he made that play earlier in the season and he can trust him so 
you know, there's that side of it. And I think the underrated part of it is, you know, Leonard Fournette has proven that if, if you want him to be the workhorse, he might break down if you ask him to do too much. Yep. And I think he was on the field for like 85% of the snaps on offense for the first three weeks or something ridiculous like that. So this was clearly an effort. You know, I think it was situational based on the game flow, but I think it's definitely an indication that, yes, Rashad White is improving. Yes, he's going to be a bigger part of the offense. But it's also about keeping Lenny as fresh as possible because it's a long season. Yeah, one thing I, I learned, Luke, watching Brady is he's not going to throw you uh, that many targets in a game if he's not building a rapport with you. It's just not going to happen. He's not. You're not even going to be on the sorry, field. Sorry, Scotty Miller. Yes, exactly. I know. You had your chances, buddy. That's a sorry. That's a sad one. Uh, all right, let's move on. Question number two. Uh, you know, you, you, these names like Odell Beckham Jr. Um, you know, you, you see these stories popping up all over the place, Luke, where people are speculating. Where is Odell Beckham Jr. going to land? Where are some of these guys that are just not happy in their situation? A guy like Kenny Galladay, who seems like mentally checked out and just like miserable with the Giants and just not playing, basically. You know, where could these guys move? Where could they end up? The Bucks always seem to be on the short list for all of these hot takes. Uh, but it got me thinking, like, do you think the Bucks need reinforcements at wide receiver, right? Should Jason Light be on the phone before the trade deadline? Because, you know, you did sign Cole Beasley, but I don't think he's the answer, Luke. I'll get your take on that. Uh, you know, Chris Godwin, we love him, but he is he is coming, still coming back from an injury. He's not quite 100% yet. We're hoping he can stay healthy. Uh, Julio Jones, another guy, like he's awesome on the field, but how often is he on the field at this stage of his career? He's kind of in and out of the lineup wherever he's been. So Odell Beckham, Kenny Galladay, if he's got anything left, any juice left, Rob Gronkowski, if you can convince him to come out of retirement. Is there some type of reinforcement move coming uh, before the trade deadline, Luke, from Jason Light? What, what, give me your prediction. Yeah, I think uh, I wouldn't put it past this team to, to, to do at least two of those things. I think they will continue to hope and hope and hope and maybe as gently as possible without pissing him off, convince Rob Gronkowski to come out of retirement because I think he, again, would do wonders for the passing game and the running him. game exactly, yep. exactly like they did the last year. I mean, he was a, a huge part not just for what he does in opening up the pass game, but because he is just such a devastating blocker. He's basically like having another all-pro offensive tackle out there uh, blocking in the run game, and that's just they, – they miss him in so many ways. And they miss him in the locker room, man. Might, might, might be as much as anything. He, he, he's just such a, an infectious personality. He, everybody gravitates toward him, and he, he lightens everything up in such a good way that I just think they really do miss his presence as, as a leader and as a – uh, a source of kind of levity and, and that, I don't know, that childhood love of the game. That dude just always looks like he's having the best time of, of his life out there playing, you know, a kid's game. And I think having that type of player in the locker room, people feed off that and they feed off that energy. And I think they really miss him in pretty much every way. Um, so so that, that I think that's a big hope. And I, I think, honestly, two, two guys that I would mention, you mentioned one of them already, Odell Beckham, that makes too much sense to me. You know, they, again, you talk about the injury. Russell Gage has been banged up. People ask yep. him why he didn't get more involved. Is he's a ten million dollar a year man? He missed almost all of training camp with a hamstring injury, and you're joining a new offense that no reps. You can't develop that rapport with Brady, and and again, you started to see a pickup on that last drive, especially in the second half against uh, Green Bay. But you know, it takes time to develop that stuff. So all the injuries, the the turnover at wide receiver, the fact that they can't find that last guy. Right, it's been Scotty Miller. You know, he's made plays before, but he's made some huge mistakes and drops and just hasn't been consistent. He's been falling down on reps. He's just, it's not working right now. And, and 
you know, Brashad Perriman has made plays, but he's been banged up as well. Jalen Darden kind of locked in as the sixth guy because he's the return man, right? He's been one of the league's better return men this year. I gave him a ton of crap last year. He has been much, much improved as as a as a punt returner, as a and, and as a receiver. He made a, a big catch last week as well. But so he's going to be that last guy. But who is the other one? Who is they can't find a consistent performer at that wide receiver five ish spot, so that when those guys get banged up and you're basically a starter now, and it just you know Odell Beckham just makes too much sense. He and Brady have a great relationship. I think they'd love to work together on the same team. So whenever he's healthy. I think it's you know probably November for that stretch run. Once he gets ready to play football, I don't think there's anywhere else that makes more sense than Tampa Bay, where he would have a chance to come down and, and win another ring and to play with Brady um, in maybe Brady's last season. The other guy I'll mention is, and I know we're going to talk about the run defense, and Dominican Sue is still out there. Mm. And I don't know if he's too, you know, I don't know him, so I don't know if he's the type of guy that's like, nah, you let me walk and, and didn't bring me back, and you went and drafted a guy in the second round. I'm not going to come back and help you. Uh, I don't know if that's that's the way he would see it. Um, but if I'm the Bucks and I'm looking at the way we got gassed by the Chiefs for five yards of carry, um, and and I know that Akeem Hicks is going to be out for a little while, maybe I go back to Dominican Sue and say, hey man, can you come help us out? Uh, we we. We're missing something there in the middle. I love I love Nacho. I know we love Rocky Nunez Rochez, but it, there's just a big difference. Uh, there's a big difference. You don't have a Keem Hicks in there. You don't have a veteran like Sue plugging things up. So I, I think that's an, an underrated name to keep in mind if it's something Sue would entertain. That's an interesting take right there. And yeah, the more I hear you talk about Odell, Beck- Odell Beckham, uh, Luke, the more I love the fit, right? Because all There's you need... There's no way it doesn't happen, right? Come on. Come on. That's, you just... Too much yeah, sense. speak it into the universe. Because all all you need to do is just what the Rams did, right? Uh, t- bring him back in mid-season or whatever it is. And you, you just need a package of plays for him in the red zone. Because he's such a weapon in the red zone. He's so... And that's what the Rams did. They went to him in the red zone. He was a good bet for any time touchdown scorer. Because he made a lot of plays for them in the red zone. Oh, Brady would freaking love him in the red zone. He catches everything. Oh, his footwork along the sidelines. If everybody's healthy, Ryan, you can switch those guys in and out. You don't have to play Julio Jones 20, 30 snaps. You can play him 10 or 15, and and, and Odell takes 10 or 15. And at some point, every opposing defense is like, oh, great. This time we got to deal with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. The next drive, we have to deal with Julio Jones and and Odell Beckham. The next drive, we have to deal with all of them. And wait, Kronk's back? What's going on? Like, (laughs) at some point, there are. You have again. They're in win now. They have to pull out all the stops, and there are still a few stops this team can pull out. There's no reason for them not to. Yep, yep. I want to see some moves. Mike Evans needs some help. <laughs> we we need to see something. Uh, all right. Question number three. Uh, this kind of ties into a, a big topic in the NFL, Luke, to say the least. Uh, this, despite clearly getting his bell rung, we all saw it watching the game. Cameron Brait was back in there at the end of the first half. He actually got three targets on, on, on that drive, which was kind of like, all right, he's I, yeah. almost we're, got a touchdown. We're, we're, <laughs> of course he did. So the Bucks come back after halftime and, and Brates ruled out and he's in concussion protocol. And it's like, hmm, you know, so I, I thought that was interesting because throughout the day on Sunday, Luke, whenever you saw somebody uh, go into yeah. the locker room with a head injury, they didn't come back. Isaiah McKenzie from the Bills. I don't think he was really even hurt. He didn't come back in the game. Brian Hoyer for the Patriots. Uh, we all, you know, people were who were paying attention to that Patriots Packers game with, you know, fourth round rookie third stringer Bailey Zappi going in yes, up sir. against Aaron Rodgers. Come on, man. Brian Hoyer, Joe, head Joe injury. Coppers. He was out. Brian Hoyer was out. So you saw this all around the league. As soon as guys got into that protocol, they're like, we're not messing with that whole thing the Dolphins did with Tua. Nope. Nope. You're out. 
uh, which is probably the, the way it should go and maybe the way it's trending. Uh, the Bucks did have an explanation as to why Brait went back in, Luke. I'm sure you can tell us that. I think they said it was a shoulder, but this points to some of the shortcomings in the in the concussion protocol, maybe with the league and with the Bucks on their sideline, don't you think? Like, like how did Brait end up going back in that game? There's an issue there. Well, yeah, that's that was the explanation we were given, right? Is that he came off the field and was told told you know the trainer or whatever coaches said hey, it's my shoulder, my shoulder's a little bit banged up, so they you know checked out the shoulder. He felt all right. He went back in the game, and Bowles said that they didn't get a call down from the booth, right? They've got a spotter. The NFL has a spotter up in the booth who, when he sees a play or sees a player that looks like, hey, this may be a head injury, they can call down and buzz down. It happened a few weeks ago, I think, in a Bengals game. I think it was Von Bell that they kind of just pulled off the field, even though it was kind of innocuous and didn't really look like much. But the spotter was like, ah, I saw something. So they pulled him off the field. So, like, obviously that's happening. It, it, it's working to that degree, even when you're erring on the side of caution, which again, I'm completely fine with, like you said, it should be the rule rather than the exception. So it's, it's strange to me that, that nobody saw whoever was up in the booth there, whoever the spotter was, didn't see that play, which was obvious. I mean, he ran into his own guy and was clearly shook up to go down and be like, Hey, let's maybe check this guy out for a head injury. Cause again, if you're the player. If you played this game at any level, it is built into the culture that you overcome injury, that if you are hurt, oh, everybody's hurt a little bit. You got to, you know, get back in there. It's, it's a positive trait. It is reinforced that you play through injury. So the player is always going to want to be on the field. They want to prove that they're a good teammate. They want to contribute. They want to be out there. You cannot trust them to tell you what is wrong and how wrong it is. So when he comes off the field and his bell is rung, he's going to tell you, oh, my shoulder hurts. I'm sure it does, but that's not what I'm concerned about right now. I'm concerned that you look woozy. Sit down and let's check you out. So, that, again, in my opinion, just, again, another failure at multiple levels at player safety and protecting these players. Because, again, you go into halftime and now he starts complaining of symptoms. Yeah, of course he is because he went back in the game and kept playing and you only checked him out for a shoulder injury. So, there's just so much work to be done, man. It's, it's something that, that absolutely needs more overhaul. And, and going back to the Tua thing, everybody watched that play, and everybody knew, evidently, except for the only persons that mattered. <laughs> because the persons who made that decision to let him back in the game, let him back in the game. And it seems a similar situation here, where it's just everybody who watched that play was like, ooh, that's not good. He's going to be out, you know, with a concussion. And the only people who could make that happen didn't, didn't get him out of the game so it's just it's frustrating yeah back injuries shoulder injuries when they clearly uh, got hit in the head and it's and it's woozy it's like oh man yeah and, and I, I keep going back like isaiah mckenzie of the bills sprinted into the locker room into concussion protocol like he looked like he was fine luke still didn't return for the bills still didn't return for the bills so some teams are, are on one side of it others are on the other uh i think the bucks they might want to look at their product, their, their, their process a little bit as well, right? <laughs> Maybe try to figure that thing out. But I agree with you. Everything you said was spot on. Just a lot of work to do there. The Tua situation at least brings it, if you want to try to find a positive out of that, although that was just a gross, scary thing that we all watched on that Thursday night game. Um, at least it's back in the forefront again, but it should stay there and they should keep working on this thing because uh, clearly that's an issue. Uh, is this a get right week for the Bucks? Home against the Falcons. We know how these games in the division go, Luke. They're, they tend to be kind of ugly, tend to be kind of tough. The Bucks are big favorites at home. We'll tell you how much and make a prediction right after this. This is the typical sports book minute. Let's make this interesting. 
Hello, everyone. This is Nathan with the Bet Slippin' Podcast. Be sure to check us and our sportsbook provider, Tipico, out. All odds are provided by our friends at Tipico. Tipico Sportsbook is a global betting leader. New users from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Terms and conditions apply 21 plus. See the site for details. So the Raiders and Chiefs have Monday night football. The Raiders are plus seven and are starting to figure things out offensively, rushing for over 200 yards against Denver. They have a couple elite offensive playmakers, and the Chiefs' opponent's completion percentage is the second worst in the league at just over 70%. In both games, the Chiefs have played outside of a two-score finish. No opposing rusher has had over 30 yards on their own. The Raiders should look much better and should be able to hold this within a touchdown. Give me Las Vegas plus seven. That was your typical Sportsbook Minute. For a limited time, new users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. All right, Luke, like I said, you know, these games against the NFC South, they're they're never they're never easy, right? Even if the Bucks blow out the Falcons, it's like weird for three quarters and then they, they end up blowing them out. But this is a different Falcons team. Matt Ryan is a Colt and he sucks over there with Indy. He's really not playing good football with Indianapolis. Uh, but now they got Marcus Mariota, tough team to gauge. Bucks are eight and a half point favorites at home. Not really playing their best football, especially on offense lately with the Bucks. So can you back them at eight and a half comfortably? Uh, I mean, I expect the Bucks to win this game, but eight and a half. What do you think of that spread? Uh, I'm taking it all day long, and I'm okay. taking it because because of the situation of this game. Again, you got four games where it was a tough, tough sledding. They're they're frustrated that they can't figure out the offense and the defense. The defense carries it for the first few weeks. The offense can't score. Then the offense starts putting up points. The defense can't stop anybody. This is this is the game. This is the get right game. And the Falcons, unfortunately, I think are going to be. Uh, the recipient of a lot of frustration, a lot of um, reminding everyone that the Bucks are who they are um, and reminding them who, who owns this division. Because, again, this is for the lead in the division. They're both two and two. So whoever wins this game goes into first place. Um, and I just – I mean, Brady's undefeated against the Falcons. That's not – he's definitely going to win the game. But I, I look at the fact that, you know, Falcons probably have a lot of confidence. Um, they're one of the best rushing teams in the league right now, which should make Bucks fans nervous with the way we saw that ground game. But they're not going to have Cordero Patterson for this game. He's on injured reserve now. Yep, good point. Um, so they're going to they're going to have Damian Williams is too. So they're going to have fifth round rookie Tyler Al, uh, Algier, um, guy out of BYU, fifth round pick, good back, great rookie back. And again, if the offensive line blocks well, he's going to have some room to, to to run. But not having Cordero Patterson, the versatility he brings to that offense. Uh, as kind of a slash weapon that can do a bunch of different things. That I think that's going to have a huge impact on what they can do offensively. Um, they've obviously got some young playmakers. Drake London, the first-round pick from this year, Kyle Pitts. Um, Falcons just haven't been doing a good job of getting him uh, opportunities. It's been kind of strange. So he'll be looking for a breakout in this game, but I just think the Bucks, you know, will have too many reasons to not go out there and just, you know, get right on both sides of the ball and, and have a big game. This just feels like a – you know, a, a 400-yard, four-touchdown reminder game from Tom Brady. It really just feels like he's going to go out and sling it and, and, and own the Falcons like he always does. Now, this is a team that's played the Bucks tough in the first half in particular over the last few years, especially that Super Bowl season. I think they were up at halftime by like two or three scores. 
and the Bucks had to make a comeback in that game and, and win. And it, it was kind of tough sledding until the fourth quarter in, in the late season game that year too. So I'm not saying it won't be tough for a little while. And, and again, the Falcons have, have been better than we expected. But in the second half, I just feel like this is going to be one of those games where the Bucks are going to put put their foot on their throat and just and, and run it up. I think it does feel like an unlucky spot for the Falcons, right? Because I do think that they can hang with the Bucks. You know, if they play their best game, they could probably hang around. But this is just not the spot in Tampa. No, coming Bucks off two, are going to be pissed. They're at <laughs> Seriously. home. They're mad that they've lost two home games exactly. in a row and haven't been given their fans enough to get excited about. They're going. Just stomp them. <laughs> tough spot for the Falcons. And I do have faith in Todd Bowles to I mean the Bucks are always tough against the run. So I'm I have faith that they're gonna figure that thing out too. I think they're gonna be really tough against the run in this game. Um uh, and really force Marcus Mariota uh, to beat you. And and how much does Marcus Mariota really scare you? You know? I don't know. Doesn't scare me. Not with the Bucks defense. I think they figure it out on D. I think Brady is uh you know, Brady bounces back. I'm with you, Luke. Give me a give me a Bucks by ten type of type of score, right? 10, 10 plus. Absolutely. So I would back the Bucks eight and a half as well. Um, so there's our big prediction. I could use some like you know personal advice. My kid's birthday here is on Saturday, Luke. First birthday. You got any advice for me? What like what what do I how do I proceed? There's so much to do. We're kind of freaking out. There's too many people coming to my house. He's only one years old. He's not even going to remember this day, really, right? He's, his brain, his memory hasn't even clicked on yet. So do you have any advice for the first birthday? I mean, honestly, my advice for any of that situation is usually my, my go-to parent advice that people ask. And it's always that no matter what it is, your best will be enough. So when you get to that point in the preparing process, I don't know whether it's you or your wife, will you start to panic and realize like, Oh my gosh, I don't have this thing or I haven't done this. And there's not going to be enough of these. Yes, there will. Yeah, All of it yeah. will be enough. Whatever you have done up to that point is going to be fine. Partly because like you said, they're one year old. They're just going <laughs> to eat the wrapping paper uh, of whatever exactly gift right. you gave them and play with the, the bows and the strings. So it's at the end of the day, you know, and enjoy every moment. Not, you know, it's just, it goes way too quickly. My kids are a good bit older than that now. And it's enjoy every moment of it. Even the, you know, sneaking the mimosas in the kitchen in between, uh, in between wrapping gifts, whatever you got to do. But, uh, but just, just have fun man, and enjoy it and, and soak up all of those moments. Yeah. We're, we're excited. And you know, if my wife listens to this, um, and she does listen to the pod sometimes, uh, she would roll her eyes because I'm talking like I'm doing all the work, but she's doing all the work, Luke. She does it all. She does all the work. I'm not like, what planning have I really done for this thing? This not is much. The, the, the betting segment. I would have put money on. That. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, all the stuff like the decorations and the balloons and the, and the, the cute little invitations and all that crap. Oh, we, all we're her. just trying to stay out of the way. And I'm, not screwed up, but. I'm just in the, I'm just in the closet talking football. <laughs> and that's, that's what I'm doing on the podcast. So, uh, you know, have a great weekend and um, everybody should just be checking out your stuff on Buckswire, right? Between now and kickoff, because you guys are doing great stuff over there. Yeah, man, we've got it all covered from every angle. Again, win or lose, we're, we're doing our best to, to provide some, some well-reasoned content for everybody. We don't try to go too high or too low uh, in terms of the takes, but, uh, but yeah, expecting and hoping for a, a nice get-right game for the Bucks and a nice blowout this weekend. That's Luke Easterling. I'm Ryan O'Leary. Thanks for joining us again. Hit subscribe if you haven't already. We'll catch you next week. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.